Great. Good morning once again, friends. Uh, it is, it's an amazing privilege for me this morning uh, to really just have this opportunity to boast about Jesus. Uh, we're, uh, we're in the in the throes of a series called Unlikely Heroes of the Bible. Uh, last week, Jen uh, took us off with, uh, with a story of Anna, and it was just a great message. I encourage you to uh, get a hold of that online. I think it really ministered to a lot of people. And um, as I was looking through the scriptures and really wrestling with who do I feel that I want to do, I just kept coming back to Jesus. But a number of you and friends and even my, my kids have said to me, there's nothing unlikely about Jesus. He was like the hero of the Bible. But the truth of it is Jesus was probably the most unlikely hero of all. And um, we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. But uh, I don't know if you've noticed that there are close to about 1,400 of these amazing vintage cars rolling around our city over this last couple of days. Have you noticed this? Um, and uh, I just love these older vehicles, and, and it's just it's such a passion for me. And, and uh, it's been really neat just seeing them all come out and beautifully restored. And, and they're all downtown for the day today if you want to go and check them out and uh, but it, uh, it really reminded me of something, and, and Henry Ford, who was the, really, it's called Deuce Days, right? And there's something like 600 of these 1932 Fords that are in our city. Um, forgive me as I rant on about some passions for a moment here. And uh, Henry Ford, who revolutionized the world with, with the, the car, uh, he was, he was, once challenged on something about, about what customers wanted. And he made this statement, and I quote, if I had asked customers what they wanted, they would have told me, I want a faster horse. People don't know what they want until you show it to them. And so in the day and age of horses, he came under such fire for bringing around this car, and everyone told him this was going to fail, and this was a disaster, because they had no idea what it was in front of them. And, and as he said, if, if anyone were to ask me and I had to respond to the whims and the needs of the people around me, I would have to respond in giving them a simply a faster horse than what they already have. But as a visionary, he saw beyond that. Henry Ford also went on to say, and, and he was quite famously known, that when he was asked about... But what colors do they come in? He said, you can have it in any color as long as it's black. Not only, not only was he very sure on a vision, but he was also particular on what that vision was going to be and look like. Interestingly enough, the people in Jesus' time, although they didn't have Henry Ford around, there was this expectancy and there was a religious environment that had shaped and formed what they expected the Messiah to look like. And they had it very determined in their mind that it was going to look like this and he was going to be this way and he was going to come in this shape and form. Unbelievably though, if you look historically in the Old Testament, the scriptures were full of stories and prophetic images of the Messiah and who he was going to be and what he was going to look like and, and, and what he was going to be in the world. And, and, and they just missed all the signs to this day. 
could not see the scriptures that they know and they knew deep in their hearts. It's like their eyes were blinded. And even when he came, not only did they not recognize him, but they rejected him. If God had to ask the people of Jesus' time what they wanted in the Messiah and what they thought they needed, just like Henry Ford, they would have said, we need a faster horse. (laughs) But God knew much greater than that what they needed. He even knew what they wanted, even though they thought they knew what they wanted. And I want to start with that today because... It was true then, but the, the reality is it's absolutely true today as well. We're going to unpack that a little bit further. Jesus came as a baby, a weak, meek, mild, all the words that have been associated with him, a little baby that all they could do, and if you've had a baby before, you know it's exhausting and they require all the energy and effort from you and all you get in response is some sleep hopefully, some crying a whole lot of, and poopy diapers. And that's Jesus. That's, uh, let's, let's be honest for a minute. That was the reality of Jesus as a baby. Jesus soiled his diapers. But no, he was this king of kings and lord of lords. And what they expected and what they wanted was not what they got. But God knows and God knew what they needed and God knows what we need even though we might think we want something else. The same was true of them that, those days. And I want to, really want to challenge that in us this morning. We might think we know what we want. We may even think we know what we need. But until we can surrender to someone else who has a perspective on our lives on the world that is so much greater than ours, we're never truly going to walk in the fullness of that. In fact, even worse than that, we may end up rejecting the very one we need. So today I'm, I'm tackling probably one of the most awesome and fearful tasks that any preacher could come and stand and do and say, I'm going to speak about Jesus because I've got to get all this done before you leave for lunch today. <laughs> And the crazy thing about this is that I know that there are a a number of you afterwards that are going to feel, well, he never touched on this. And he never told us about this part of Jesus. And and this part of Jesus is the most amazing part of Jesus. And I want to thank God for your revelation of that today. And I'm sorry that I'm not going to be able to tackle it all. Because the truth of it is, if I try to convince you that I can tackle all of Jesus right now, well, then let's tuck in because we're going to be fasting for a few weeks. There's so much of who Jesus is. There's no way I'm going to get through it all today. But the most important challenge for us today, the most important challenge for you and me today is to be able to answer a question. And it's a question that Jesus posed in Matthew 16. And he said this, being challenged on who he was, he says, But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am, asking to his disciples? And Simon Peter answered, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Boom! Right in the face 
of an entire culture and society that was saying the opposite and expecting the opposite, Peter has the courage and the audacity in that day and age to say, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. A mortal man standing right in front of him. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus himself knew that the possibility of Peter understanding that was no way in his own human mind he'd be able to have that revelation. It had to be a heavenly revelation. And then he says this, I tell you that you are Peter. He doesn't, I mean, you are Peter. (laughs) He's speaking straight to the identity of the man. And he says this, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want to pause on that for a minute. He doesn't say, On you, Peter, I will build my church. He says, On this rock. The rock is the revelation that Peter stands on. What he's saying to Peter and what he's saying to you and me is based on our revelation of who Jesus is. That's how he's going to build us into the future. And so the most important question we need to be able to come up with an answer to is who do you say I am? On this rock, on this revelation of truth, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's the promise from heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I've shared this here before, but it's such a profound quote, and I want to share it again. And it's such a challenge. It's in our face, but it's right in the heart of this. C.S. Lewis quotes this in, in really referencing the person of Jesus. He says this, I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil himself. You must make your choice. Either either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and you can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not intend to. And it's that very same attitude and certainty of his identity that ultimately got Jesus killed. (laughs) After three years of ministry, he so offended the religious order of the day, the very ones that were supposed to usher in the kingdom of God. He so offended them that they had to kill him. I want to just take a moment to try and capture the magnificence of this man, Jesus. Because the truth of it is that he was the most unlikely hero of the entire scriptures. He was the the least of the ones that they expected. But only history has shown that he was exactly the right one that they needed. And he's exactly the right one that we need. Let's start off with Colossians 
chapter 1, and I want to read from verse 13. I want to read this in the NIV to start with, and uh, I just want to, can I just take a moment, I just want to thank all these people that serve behind the scenes. We had a whole lot of technical stuff going on behind the scenes that 99% of us are unaware of this morning, but they work so hard behind the scenes to make this happen, and coffee and tea and everything else that goes on. So I just want to honor you and thank you. And when it doesn't go wrong, then we know about it. When it doesn't work, then we know about it, doesn't it? But when it's all working, we kind of forget. So we've had a little bit of a technical glitch, which they hopefully that we'll get some scriptures up behind me here. But let's read together in the NIV, in Colossians 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So God has rescued us through the gift of his son Jesus. And he's brought us, the the New American Standard said, he's transferred us. It's an understanding that we no longer live in that place of the old, but we live in the place of the new. Kristen did an amazing job of unpacking this two weeks ago. Listen to that message. We no longer live in the old. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. Jesus died to make dead people alive. And until we were alive, we never realized we were dead. And so he's transferred us into this kingdom of the son that he loves and in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then this is said of Jesus. The son is the image of the invisible God. This meek and mild baby, this is how heaven sees him. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Not just man, fully man, but fully God. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Church, I could spend the, the next six weeks just unpacking this. Please take the time to just dwell in this and let it just soak into the fullness. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. That's you and me. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in a few things he might have the supremacy. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible says that in all things he might have the supremacy. That's Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, as we remember with communion, through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Some of us need to hear that this morning. That God chooses to present us as blood-washed, blood-bought, born-again believers. He chooses to present us. Jesus chooses to present us before God as holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. 
And if that's all you hear from this this morning, praise the Lord. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I want to read that same portion of scripture for a moment out of the message translation. It just brings it to life. I encourage you to have a whole bunch of translations of the Bible in front of you because it just brings a wholeness to scripture and an understanding that is so valuable to us. Listen to this. God rescued us from the dead end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son that he loves so much The son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at the son and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels... Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. He holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes, he holds it together like a head does a body. I want to pause for a moment and just say, will you take that word church and put your name in its place? Because that's what he's talking about. I want to read that again. And when it comes to Randy, Jenna, Josh, Andy, Casey, Faith, when it comes to you, he organizes, he holds you together like a head does a body. Wow. We look at the sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and visible, I've read all that, haven't I? He organizes, he holds it together like a head does a body. That's the end of that paragraph. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, he's towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Isn't that amazing? You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, all of you had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got without even realizing it. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your life together whole and holy in his presence. Wow. You don't walk away from a gift like that. Amen. You stay grounded and you stay steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. 
How powerful is that? Church, spend time in the Word. Let it wash over you. Let it wash over you. One of the aspects of the character of Jesus that is just so incredible and even another word and a, and, a, and a picture of Jesus this morning that came through. And there's so many images that came about Jesus is that he loves us deeply. And he stands alongside and he, and he holds our hearts. And there's just been so many images of the picture of Jesus this morning that's happened in this place. Matthew 12 verse 9 in the NIV says this. He went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So he goes into the place of the religious leaders of the day. The Messiah that they've been waiting for. The very one walks into the place, the very, the very epicenter of, of the place of expectation of the Messiah. And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus already radically opposed to him. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on a Sabbath. Jesus came and took all the religious order of the day, turned it on its head and said, I'm about people. The Messiah is about people. The Messiah is about you and me. The Messiah is about the one that's the outcast, the one who's messed up the worst of the worst, the one who's the dregs of society. He's about the one. And whatever laws and rules and regulations you think are against, you being the one, that's where he says, no, you're the one. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and he was partially restored. No, that's not the Messiah. And you and I, friends, don't come here with an expectation of being partially restored. He was completely restored. And I want to challenge us all this morning. That's Jesus. Jesus is not about rules and regulations. Jesus is not some religion. The Jesus I know and love and I'm so passionate about is the one who brings life and gives life. That's the Jesus I know and love. And that's the Jesus that if you don't know him, he is here. And if you think there's anything distracting you or holding you back from that Jesus, whatever rules and regulations and disqualifications you think you're standing in, that's what Jesus has to say to you. He stretched out his hand and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Oh, no. How many times do we do that? When Jesus comes and offends our perspectives on who we think he should be, or we think is the way he should behave in a certain circumstance, we end up walking out the room offended, distracted, and actually plotting against the very nature of what Jesus is doing. The Bible says that the traditions of man nullify the word of God. And church, I want to challenge our traditions. I want to challenge our religious mindsets and setups and say, when we get offended with something we see in front of us, could our first law of response be to go to the cross and say, Jesus, I don't want to be opposing you. But if there's something I'm not seeing, 
open my heart to see. Because otherwise we're opposing him. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from the place. So the very ones that are supposed to usher in the presence of Jesus, the church of the day, hear this, the very ones that are supposed to usher in the presence of Jesus, you and I, walk away plotting how we can kill Jesus. But a large crowd followed him. And he healed all who were ill. And while we're dealing with our offenses and our stuff and getting all religious and pious and stuff in church, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person next to you. It's not you. It's not me. (laughs) But I, I I really want to challenge this in us. When we get ourselves in a position, and I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be humorous in that, but I, I, it's a serious thing. And I, I really want to challenge our religious mindsets because every one of us have them to some degree or other. And while we're doing that and arguing over the points of doctrine or theology or whatever it might be, Jesus walks out the room, goes into the streets of our city, and a large crowd follows him. And while we're arguing and bickering over it, A large crowd is following and he's healing and restoring all those that are ill. Can we be a church that responds to the goodness and the fullness and the majesty of Jesus in his fullness and not let the stuff of religion get in the way? It's not my heart to offend, but it is my heart to challenge us. And if you're feeling challenged, do business with the Holy Spirit this morning. And this was to fulfill what was spoken about him in Isaiah 42. The Bible says this, This is the most amazing prophetic picture of Jesus. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, God says. The one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. That there is not the picture of the Messiah that they had in mind, is it? But that's our Jesus. When you look through the life of Jesus, I want to just wrap up with some thoughts around this for a moment. When you look at the life of Jesus, the holistic nature of who Jesus was, and you follow his steps and what he did and who he spoke to and who he was with, what I find intriguing is that most of the time the Bible doesn't talk about the formal and the planned teachings of Jesus, but actually most of the time the Bible reflects and highlights and unpacks the interruptions that happened in Jesus' life. Jesus was always on his way to somewhere or someone or something and there was an interruption that happened and that's where the profound ministry of Jesus happened. And that's what's recorded in the scripture. In fact, Jesus was so often interrupted that even his interruptions were interrupted at times. And what I find fascinating is the majority of Jesus' miracles that are recorded in the Scripture were interruptions. They happened in the middle of a plan for something or someone else. This is one of my favorites. And I 
I want to challenge us to think about if we were to take all those interruptions out of the Bible, I wonder how much of Jesus' ministry would be left recorded in the Scriptures. Because that's the nature of the Messiah. Luke 5 verse 17 through 26 is one of my favorites in the NIV. It says that one day Jesus was teaching and understanding the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were sitting there were the ones that were opposed to him. They come with an agenda. They come to trip him up. They come not with a heart to learn, not with a heart to be teachable. They come with a critical spirit. And church, I think too often we do the same thing. We come with a critical spirit to go, I wonder what this guy has to say today. I wonder if there's anything I'm going to disagree with. I wonder what's going to happen in the worship. Oh, I don't like that song. Lights are too bright. And I, again, it's not you, it's the person next to you. It's, friends, I, I just want to challenge, I really want to challenge us personally to say, how much are we coming with a mindset or an expectation that, that it's, it's what I expect and we, we, we do that and in doing that we close ourselves off to what God wants to do. And if my, my voice is annoying to you and my, my beard is too long or too short or you don't, you know what, I, please, I, don't let me be a stumbling block to Jesus in your life. One day Jesus was teaching while the Pharisees and teachers of the laws were sitting there trying to trip him up is what they were doing there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. They're actually making a lot of effort to try and discredit Jesus. (laughs) And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick because the power of the Lord doesn't care a darn thing about what's going on in the room the power of the lord is there for those that want to receive the power of the lord some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before jesus and when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd so let's picture the scenario this room is jam packed there is no room for four men to bring their friend in because the crowd is so packed together Do you know what so often happens in our day and age of political correctness and the good Canadian spirit of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't want to interrupt or whatever it is. And I'm, I don't mean to, I'm poking some bears, I know. But you know what happens is the four of us will walk up and go, excuse me, sorry, sorry. And, and it'll reach a point where we go, sorry, friend, it's not going to happen today. <laughs> and we'll probably walk away. And maybe there'll be another meeting tomorrow. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. you kidding me? This is someone's private house. They are the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They are all these important people that have come from all the regions. Just imagine what the security looked like. I was talking with a friend who works with BC Transit when Justin Trudeau and and, um, John Horgan were down in Victoria this week. And they were saying for days leading up to it, there were suits and police and everyone just scouting it out and making sure of security. Just imagine, those are the big shots of the day. What was the security like? Was there a police presence? They went up to the roof and they lowered him on the mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd. So just stop for a moment. They made a hole in someone's roof. 
of the house. Someone's house. Someone important. Probably a really nice roof. With some really important people down there. Who were there to trip Jesus up. But in society, they were the most important of the day. And the lowest of the low, they were the least important of the day, but the most important to heaven. And somehow God makes a way for them to be able to make a hole in the roof. And imagine all the debris falling down on top of Jesus. And they lower him down and they put him on the floor in front of Jesus. And somehow, miraculously, no one ends up stopping them. Let's stop and think about this for a moment. Jesus was talking. Jesus, not me, not you. Jesus had an important message for a lot of people standing in front of them. And Jesus was interrupted. I hope that never happens that Jesus interrupts us in the middle of our messages. Church, seriously, if I'm on a mission somewhere and I'm going downtown somewhere, I don't have time. I've got things to do, places to go. Jesus had an important message. But because of their crazy and their convinced faith, because they saw in Jesus something that they were willing to risk their lives for, risk their status in society, not for themselves, for their friend, they did everything to lose their reputation to go and put their friend in front of the feet of Jesus. You know what Jesus did? When Jesus saw their faith, he said this, Oh, you strange man in front of me, what are you doing? He said, no, he said, friend. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, looks at this man that's caused the biggest disruption to him and says, friend. Your sins are forgiven. And some of us need to hear that message this morning. You need to hear that he says to you, friend. Your sins are forgiven. Ah, here it is. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They miss the miracle because they're so busy trying to correct everything that's wrong. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man in front of the crowds, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up (laughs) in front of them, took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. Do you know what it says next? Is that everyone, including the Pharisees and teachers of the law, were amazed and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. And I believe even the hardest of hearts can be challenged when we see the fullness of Jesus. Jesus was interrupted when he sought peace and quiet. He was seeking Solitude. He was wanting to grieve when he found out about, about John, his cousin that was beheaded. He was wanting to grieve and he was interrupted in the middle of that moment. 
He would try to slip away from the crowds in a boat. And when he would come ashore, there they were waiting for him. They walked all the way around the lake to the other side and they found him. And not just small gatherings of people. There were thousands of people, crowds that were interrupting Jesus. And they were not only hungry for what he had to say, but they were physically hungry. And they started mumbling. And so Jesus in the midst of the interruption and he's tired. We then get the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus was even interrupted when he was sleeping. He's on a boat. He's sleeping in the midst of a storm. I don't know about you, but you've got to be dead tired to be sleeping on a boat in the midst of a storm. Or just supernaturally calm. I don't know which one it is, but probably both for Jesus. And he's trying to get much needed rest. And his disciples wake him up because they're afraid. The ones closest to him. This is a crazy story. Jesus was interrupted in the middle of having a dinner party. And you know who he was having dinner with? The Pharisees at a wealthy home. Here we are, another fancy home, fancy people. All the people trying to trip him up and find him wrong. And where is he? He's having dinner with them. With all the stories we've been hearing about the Pharisees, I would be saying, I want nothing to do with them. But Jesus, because he's Jesus... It's not only with the crowds, but he's also with the Pharisees having dinner in their home. That amazes me. And he's there with all the wealthy, with all the right people. And then a woman, a prostitute, barges through the door, pushes past the gatekeepers, pushes past everyone, and gets into the middle of this well-to-do party with everyone dressed well, all the right people, knowing the right people, barges in, falls at the feet of Jesus. And if there was any other well-to-do people, they might go, ooh, I don't know her, nothing to do with me. But what does Jesus do? He embraces her, and she gets life and life in abundance. That's Jesus. I pray that as, as much as I've tried to capture a little of the person of Jesus this morning, that, that it would just inspire us to just capture more of who he is. And that we would lay down our mindsets and our expectations of what we think he is. And friends, can I challenge us? Let's get into the word. Let's get to know him. Let's spend time with him. Let's withdraw and be with Jesus. Let him interrupt our days, please. For your sake, for your family's sake, for the world's sake. Let him interrupt your days and your busy, important schedules. I'm serious. Every one of us. A few weeks ago, I took a couple of days just to withdraw and be with him. And I ended up sitting on a beach With my Bible, I took nothing but my Bible, and I happened to have the message translation of the Bible. And I picked it up, and I read the book of Acts from cover to cover. And I I was undone by the end of it. I literally was experiencing the presence of God in ways that I haven't in the longest time. And all I did was sat and read a book on a beach. But we all know it was so much more than that. When we interrupt our important schedules and we give God the time to just pour into us, our lives are forever changed. 
Church, my challenge to us is to embrace the interruptions because they're his gift to us. But there are other interruptions that he challenges and calls us to as well. Peggy, where are you? Could you come here quickly and just share something with us? Speaking of interruptions, I just want Peggy to share quickly a a story that happened to her this week. Where's that microphone? Here. on a construction project on Dallas Road and I'm usually there there very early so around 6 in the morning I'm booting it down Dallas Road trying to chill a bit instead of booting it. Anyway on I often see Carol James walking early in the morning and uh, I don't usually stop but this morning um, when I was going down Dallas Road I just rolled my window down and I said hey Carol I just want you to know that um cut a picture of you out of a newspaper, put it in my Bible, and I pray for you every day. And she just put her hands to her chest and closed her eyes and kind of bowed her head. And she said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate hearing that right now. And I think she said it again, hands to her chest. She said, you don't know how much that means to me. I just lost my sister just a week or two ago, I think she said, very suddenly. And so uh, I just reminded her that I do pray for her every day. And there's a scripture. And so I did cut the picture out, as I said to you, and put it in my Bible right here. And oftentimes when I'm flipping through the Bible, even other times in my normal prayer time, I just speak a word over her. But there's a scripture I just want to share with you that uh, when I pray, I like to pray God's word. It's Ephesians Three, and it goes from 14 on, but in verse 18 it talks about that we would know the love of God, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of the love of God. And then the Amplified in verse 19 it says that you, so I like to say Carol, or myself, or whoever I'm praying for, that Carol may really come to know practically through experience for herself the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that Carol may be filled through all her being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence, and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. So So powerful. So beautiful. Thank you, Peggy. there's a verse in Proverbs 22 verse 29 it says do you see someone skilled in their work they will serve before kings they will not serve before officials of low ranks Peggy in a moment was skilled in her work as a believer and every one of us can be skilled in our work as a believer if we will just allow the interruptions of life 6 a.m. in the morning Probably haven't even had your first cup of coffee yet, and yet Peggy's looking. And Peggy said something to me earlier. She said it's about being in the right place at the right time. And my, my response to that is this. We're always in the right place at the right time. We just don't always realize it. <laughs> and I, I want to stir us and challenge us this morning that 
interruptions in our life to be with Jesus are significantly important. But allowing Him to help us to discern the moments and the times when we are in the right place at the right time because His interruptions for others are often through us. And I'm, I'm learning more and more how to live in that way of life and just live a way of life that Holy Spirit is with me all the time and He's speaking if only I would listen because the Honestly, the truth of it is there is so much stuff that keeps our minds so full and so busy in today's day and world. We don't know what to do with silence. If it's quiet, we even, okay, I better turn the radio on or put music or have TV in the background or something. Silence freaks us out. But it's the one place where we can actually stop and listen and hear the voice of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm learning how to just seize those moments because that's when he ministers deeply to us for us and that's when he ministers deeply to us for others. I just want to share quickly two moments that I've had. One is with someone living on the edge of a street and I walked past because I was on a mission and in a rush and the Holy Spirit caught my heart and said, that man needs your time right now. And I went, I don't have the time. <laughs> And I felt him say, you don't have the time not to. And I said, I don't have anything. And then what comes to mind, Peter and John, silver and gold, have I known? I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. And I turn around and I go back and I just sit down next to this man on the side of the street. And I did notice people looking at me sitting down next to him. And suddenly I became him in their eyes. And I just sat down and I just asked him how he was. And it took probably five minutes and the word, God gave me a word for him and I prayed for him. And I walked away and I just said, I have no idea what difference it can make. And other times we'll have opportunities that can make a profound difference in people's lives. And I don't know what difference that might have made. But I walked away that day knowing that I'd, for a moment I'd listened to the, the Spirit of God. Some time ago I was getting on a ferry and I saw Elizabeth May across the, another one of our politicians. And do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings, people of influence. Friends, we've got to start expecting random opportunities of bumping into people of significance and importance. If we don't start expecting it, we're not going to see it. And I, and I saw her sitting there and everything inside of me went, oh, I, I, I don't know what to do or say, but I, I knew, God, there's a reason for this. And she was on her laptop and she was on her phone and she was busy. And, and you know what I didn't do is I didn't interrupt. And I, I, I walked behind her onto the ferry even and I, I watched where she sat and she was busy, busy, busy. And I walked away. And I was grieved by that, eh? And would you know it, not long after that, another opportunity comes up. And guess who I see sitting there accessible is Elizabeth May. Like, not this time. And I had nothing, and I was busy, way busier than I was the previous time. I had stuff to do, important stuff. And I just sat there, and I just said, Holy Spirit, what do you have for her? And I had the privilege in that moment of just walking over, and I was received. And you know what? Sometimes we're going to be rejected. Jesus was rejected more than once. And I walked up, and I was able to just share what I felt was a word from God for her, and, I, and tears welled up in the corner of her eyes, and she just said, thank you. 
so much for taking the time to interrupt me and to do that. And I'm lameless and faceless to her, but Jesus isn't in that moment. Church, would you stand with me? We're going to just wrap up in prayer. Jesus has forever changed the way I live my life. The beauty, the magnificence, the incredible gift of Jesus. He has forever changed me, and I know he's forever changed many of us in this room this morning. And I want to challenge us as we leave here today that we have to be able to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? For my own life and for the world around me. And so would you join me as we pray together? Father God, we just thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience to the cross. Thank you for the courage and the conviction and the long-suffering that men and women just like, just like us, who thought we knew better, ended up putting you on the cross. But God, I thank you that that was your plan all along for the redemption of us. Thank you for your body broken and your blood shed. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And this morning, Jesus, with my friends, I want to just say again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your life lived. Thank you for your death on the cross. And thank you for, for the fact that you are alive today and forevermore. And Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. And I pray that as we walk out of this place this morning, that we will not leave with the comfort of not being challenged with the question of who do you say that I am. I pray, Jesus, that we would get into our word, into the Bible more than we've ever done before, that we would find the interruptions in our day to get aside and be with you. And that we would be so convinced that being in the right place at the right time is a normal way of living for us, for the world around us. Jesus, we lift our city to you this morning. Thank you for Victoria. Thank you that we as a church are your gift to the city. And as audacious as that might seem, that's what you've said. Christ in us, the hope of glory for our city. And so, Father, I pray that as we stand here this morning, would you join me, friends, in just saying, Jesus, I'm open to the interruptions. I'm open to the interruptions in my own life for me. And I'm open to the interruptions in my life for my city. I pray for courage and boldness to come on us all this morning. Courage for ourselves to overcome. And courage to speak life into our city. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you did it all on the cross. And when you said it is finished, you dealt with everything. And there's nothing that we need to walk out of this room this morning with that is undealt with by you on the cross. There is power in the name of Jesus. And we celebrate you this morning in your precious and holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.